0: Good morning and happy Wednesday to you. I'm Adam Wright. Happy to be with you on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. And it is, well, it's 7 a.m. It's time to do the show. It's time to pray. So this month, you know, last month I told you in the month of July that we, you know, following the monthly devotions, July is devoted to the precious blood of our Lord. This month of August, we devote to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so today in addition to our morning offering, we'll pray some prayers to the through the immaculate intercession of Mary's immaculate heart. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the immaculate heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. O most blessed Mother, heart of love, heart of mercy, ever listening, caring, consoling, hear our prayer. As your children, we implore your intercession with Jesus, your Son. Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today. We are comforted in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayer. We trust to your gentle care and intercession those whom we love and who are sick or lonely or hurting. Help all of us, Holy Mother, to bear our burdens in this life until we may share eternal life and peace with God forever. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today on Roadmap to Heaven, we are going to be doing a vocation spotlight today. Uh, We are going to be meeting Sister Jessica Kerber from the Handmaids of the Sacred Heart. We'll talk a little bit about her vocation and as well as the order, the Handmaids of the Sacred Heart. They're new to me, new to the St. Louis area, but not a new order, so we'll talk with her about their charisms their charisms, and their apostolate. Also on the show today, we're going to continue talking with Doug Berry about the Ten Commandments. This week we are on, well, not this week, this day, we're on the Eighth Commandment. All right, so do you know the Eighth Commandment? It's not the catechist question. I'm just asking you right now. See if you know it. See if you can get to the Eighth Commandment today, knowing what it is, without Doug Berry and I having to tell you. That's a little challenge for you today. Definitely an interesting evening uh, last night. I was on my way home from band practice. Yeah, that's right, I play in a band, and uh, friends invited me to to stop out with them and and have some dinner. And Beth and the kids had already eaten, so I said, "Well, I can stop in very quickly." And uh, you know, it's it's a very interesting group of neighbors and and some friends. And there's always tangential people that are either in the group or related to the group somehow that come out with us and. You know, the conversation went where, you know, you dare not take it in public. It went to religion and politics and beliefs. And we came to the subject of, Adam, why are you pro-life? That was the question. And, and you know, there were times in my life that I would have said, oh, let's, let's not talk about this. I don't want to get into this. I want to have a pleasant conversation. I want to have a nice evening out. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little spoiler here. We actually had a very... Very, very pleasant conversation. And what was surprising about it was that there were some things thrown my way, some arguments. You know, who are you to tell a woman what she can do with her body and to say, well, listen, you got to look at it this way. What I'm saying is, I advocate for the life of a child that I believe is a life in the womb. That's what I'm saying, you know, if, if, and. Through long discussion, we came to the consensus that whether you hold that viewpoint or not, that my argument was at least reasonable. That if, like us, you believe that the baby in the womb is a life, that that life deserves to live, right? They said, well, yeah, but that's one thing for you to say that, and but then provide no resources after the baby's born. And I said, well, no, I disagree with you on that because... I think we have a a moral obligation to see to it that we provide for the poor, we provide for those in need, and that includes babies. So if a mother is facing an unexpected pregnancy, an unplanned pregnancy, and she's confronted with this choice, you know, we have an obligation to step in and say, you need diapers? We're going to find you diapers. You need clothes? We're going to find you clothes. You need formula? We're going to find you formula. You know, you need a crib? We're going to find you a crib. Now, don't get me wrong, I I don't believe that we're going to eradicate every source of poverty. You and I don't have the ability. The eradication of complete poverty in our life is going to (laughs) come, really, when the world comes to an end. Our Lord was very clear about that. But he was also very clear that we don't use that as an excuse. You know, he said in the gospel, the poor you'll have with you always, but he didn't say, and because of that, don't even bother trying. He said, when I was hungry, we talked about the corporal works of mercy yesterday, when I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was imprisoned, you visited me. Lord, when did did we ever do those things for you? Uh, Amen. I say to you, when you do these for the least among you, you did this for me. Right? We have that obligation to do that. That was a very interesting part of the conversation because they weren't expecting that. Here's what was beautiful about it. It made me, by engaging in the conversation, it made me really think about, how am I articulating what I believe? And because of that, I was able to articulate it better. That's all I'm going to say on it, because we've got a lot to get to in the show today. But before we can get to any of it, let's go now to Mike Roberts for a check of today's weather.
1: Today is the feast day of St. Lydia, disciple of Paul. Born in Thyatira in ancient Greece, she was living in Philippi when Paul and his companions arrived to bring the news of Jesus Christ. On the Sabbath, They'd gone outside the city gate to the river looking for a good place to speak when they met a group of women, and one of those was Lydia, a merchant specializing in fabrics that were purple. Lydia already believed and worshipped the Father, but the news of Jesus opened her heart. In Acts 16, verses 14 and 15, we hear a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, a believer in God, listened, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what the Lord was saying. After she and her whole household were baptized, she offered us an invitation. If you consider me a believer, come and stay at my home. Paul and his companions would endure much during their visit, including beatings, imprisonment, and then once again freedom, and would return again to Lydia's house before leaving. St. Lydia, disciple of Paul, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed
0: day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Here is our our Catequist question today. What book follows the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament? What book follows the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament? I'm going to make this difficult for you. I had this as a multiple choice, but I I don't want to make it a multiple choice. I want to see if you know it. All right. Do you know it? Here's the answer. The answer is... Romans. Romans is the first book that follows uh, the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament. Romans is a letter written by St. Paul to who? The Christians in Rome. The mm-hmm. Romans, right? And one of my favorite passages in Romans is chapter 8. And chapter 8 is one that I identify with quite a bit. Paul might as well have been writing to me. Let's let's go here. Chapter 8, verse 1. Hence, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed you from the law of sin and death. For what the law weakened by the flesh was powerless to do, this God has done, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for the sake of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous decree of the law might be fulfilled in us, who live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now here's where we get into this gold. For those who live according to the flesh are concerned with the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit with the things of the Spirit. The concern of the flesh is death. But the concern of the spirit is life and peace. For the concern of the flesh is hostility toward God. It does not submit to the law of God, nor can it. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, you know, I think about this passage, and I don't know about you, but I don't find myself running around saying, all right, I am going to embrace every last little lavish luxury an accessory, an excessive, I'm running out of words here to to describe this, you know, that I've got to have the highest end clothes and I've got to have the highest end furniture and the best car and the most comfortable sheets and then, you know, this and that and the other thing. But there are days that I come home and, you know, maybe I have some things I need to do around the house and I'd rather just put my feet up because my body's tired and my bones are aching. Can I just put my feet up for a minute? And it's that whole idea of I just want to be comfortable. You know, maybe not overly luxurious, but can I just be a little bit comfortable? And sometimes I don't want to suffer, you know. I don't want to have that difficult conversation because it's uncomfortable. You know, I don't want to go that extra mile with my kids or with my wife or with my parents or with whoever because it's uncomfortable. You know, I don't want to live out my vocation today because it would be easier just to call in sick and stay home in bed. You know, those are the temptations that I face. I don't know about you, but those are the temptations that I face. And I always have to remind myself that, no, what what St. Paul's getting at here is if we live according to the Spirit, what does my spirit desire? My spirit, my soul, whether I can articulate it or not, desires God. There's a longing. I love Psalm 42. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so longs my heart for God. This is a paraphrase. I'm not reading that to you verbatim, but you know it. Our souls long for God, whether we can articulate it or not. And so, don't seek the things of this world. As comfortable as as comfort may be, we're made for something better. So let's do some fasting and some prayer to get there. Uh, We're getting ready to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. And then when we come back from that break, we'll be talking with Sister Jessica Kerber from The Handmaids of the Sacred Heart about her vocation story and about the apostolate of the order, the charism of the order, and all of those fun things. And then, of course, later today... As I said, we'll be talking with Doug Barry about the Eighth Commandment. And do you know it yet? This is your bonus catechist question today. Have you figured out what the Eighth Commandment is? Now, you should know the ones we've covered so far because we've done seven of them. But do you know that Eighth Commandment? Well, you have to stay tuned for that. This is going to be a little later on in the show. Anyway, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We've got plenty for you today. Stay tuned.
2: Prayer to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the apostles by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in this same spirit to be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen.
0: Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R Catholic Radio dot O-R-G. Visit us today. And now back to this podcast. It's always a joy to talk about vocations here on Roadmap to Heaven because on the many different roads to heaven. Vocations are like the alternate routes that we can take because your route might be different than my route. And I'm happy to have with us today, Sister Jessica Kerber, who is a religious sister with the handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Sister, it's so good to have you with us
3: today. Well, thank you so much. It's a real great joy to be with you today. Thank you.
0: I, I almost feel like we should flip a coin because there's two things we want to talk about today. One, your vocation story and how you came to be with the handmaids. And two, who are the handmaids But I think it's going to be better if we start with your vocation story. So I want to ask right away, when you were growing up, was this what you thought your life was going to be? When that question came out, what do you want to be when you grow up? Was a religious sister anywhere on the horizon?
3: That was definitely never on my horizon. Never. I don't think that ever crossed my mind until I was already in college. When I was little, I like everyone else. I wanted to be sometimes a teacher, sometimes violinist, and sometimes other things. I wasn't raised Catholic. Really, the religious life was never there. The only images that I had ever seen are, you know, Whoopi Goldberg and Julie Anderson's on the music. So no, it wasn't there. It wasn't really there as a a child. Although when I was in high school, what was present was this desire. I was like, if I could be a professional volunteer for all of my life. I think that would be great. You know, I just desire for service.
0: All right, so sister, you just snuck something in there that uh, we, we probably shouldn't pass by and that's that you did not grow up Catholic, but obviously you are Catholic now. Yes, indeed. Tell us about your conversion. How did you come into the church?
3: Mm-hmm. When I was young, I was you know raised in obviously a home with a great deal of love, but we weren't a religious family whatsoever. And so, however, I was baptized Catholic. So my grandmother made sure that my sister and I were baptized at least. So I credit my grandma to a lot there, but grew up without really a sense of faith in the home. When I was 11, my dad was in a, a serious car accident. And that evening when we received the news, cause it was out of state, my stepmother took my sister and I to their room and she prayed with us. And it was the first time that I really ever experienced prayer. I knew that as a child I had been searching. There is something innate within us that we certainly search for. And there in that experience in prayer, I knew that there was a someone. I had been searching for something and there was a someone who was listening and loving and, and walked us through that. And so with my dad and my stepmother, I went through RCIA when I was in high school. And so we received our sacraments at the Easter Vigil, the three of us together, which was just a profound experience.
0: How beautiful that is. So you grow up, you have no idea on the horizon that God's going to call you to the religious life. You come into the church in your high school years. And you mentioned earlier that at a certain point, it went from the myriad of things that every kid probably goes through. So at a certain point, you say you want to be a professional volunteer. Where did that take you?
3: So that took me in college to do a lot of volunteering and a lot of work at the Catholic Student Center on my Lutheran campus. And so did a lot there. And then I actually did a year of service. I wasn't able to study abroad, just credit-wise. I couldn't squeeze that in when I was in college. And so the, the chaplain at the Catholic Student Center suggested, he was like, Jess, this is what you love. You love being involved in the ministry. You love doing this. Why don't you do a year of service after you graduate? So I did. So I joined the Jesuit Volunteer Corps which took me out to a reservation, the Northern Cheyenne Reservation in Montana, which was an incredible experience. So I lived in a community with six other young adults uh, who had just recently graduated as well and we're out there exploring what it means to be living in community, to live a very simple life, to be out on a reservation where we could, you know, go and take a horse out into the hills whenever we wanted and praying with the people and exploring truly that there were other options in life than i had ever really thought about i mean i ex- had expected the graduate get married have children path and i was seeing that there were other paths there as well and and could feel that question really in really being very expansive
0: i remember when you and i first met one of the things you said was that you had that idea that you were going to get married and then philip pew you know yep. it, Good good Catholic thing to do. Um, and when this idea of another path started to come into your consciousness, and into your prayer life, that, that God might be calling me somewhere else, how did you react to that?
3: Oh, my goodness. Both with a sense of, I think I might be crazy. I mean, certainly there was a thought of it because it hadn't been a thought because I hadn't been raised Catholic. And so I didn't think I had like the traditional nun path. So first, I think I thought that, you know, I might be a little bit crazy. But also what I now see, there was the experience of recognizing that that was opening kind of doors in my imagination and, and wonder and seemed to resonate and how my experience of the desires to be a wife and a mother and and fill that pew, how that seemed to be actually less and less according to my desires, right? So both noticing all of that, but it certainly wasn't anything automatic and nothing that I could talk to many people about either because I did. I think I thought I was crazy. <laughs>
0: oh, wow. So then your year of service in Cheyenne ends, Mm -hmm. where do you go next?
3: So then I come back to my hometown in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. I taught at a Catholic school in the inner city of Milwaukee and I taught there for two years. And then in between those two years, I was still thinking like, it's not the traditional path, maybe it's a missionary path. And so wondering there and said, well, we should probably try this out first. So I looked online at the Catholic Network of Volunteer Services and plugged in my information. And as a teacher, I had the summer off and I wanted to go outside of the country, but I didn't speak Spanish. So those are my only criteria. I put that in and it came back with an opportunity, Project Fiat with the Handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I saw three things that were important. One, it was a short-term experience and I had the summer. Two, I didn't have to speak Spanish. And three, this congregation had Ignatian spirituality. And since I had just served with the Jesuits, I said, this seems like it's probably going to be a good fit. So I met our sisters down in El Salvador during that experience. And as I did, it truly was a obviously a life-changing experience. I had served previously with the less fortunate, and so I had been among the poor, I had been doing so, but being there and seeing the sisters and how they were present and how they shared with and among the people, and then... That was incredibly motivating to me. And then we would come home back to the volunteer center and they would expose the Blessed Sacrament for adoration. And I knew, I was like, this is what's different. It was the for whom and through whom everything was being done. I said, oh my gosh, like this is actually a possibility. And there, I can see it, I can see a possibility. And I probably, to be honest with you, wouldn't have asked a sister, could this be something for me? But a sister came up to me and asked, and she asked, have you ever thought about religious life? And all I could tell her at that time was, I haven't ever given it serious thought, and I'm really not your most likely candidate, but I think I need to explore something. And her response was wonderful, and it's one that I always go back to as well. She says, you know, if you've ever thought about religious life, you owe it to yourself and to God to explore that, because not many people necessarily do So just explore it. And that's where really the the fully conscious discernment journey began there.
0: That's a really powerful phrase. If you've ever thought about it, you owe it to yourself and to God to explore it. Not to sign on the dotted line. It's not what she said, but to explore it. Because you might be turning your back on what God's calling you to if, You don't go check it out. So I think this is a really good time to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the order. Because then once we do that, I think we can bring everything full circle in where your discernment took you and now what your apostolate is. So that's what we're going to do. You're listening to
1: Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Hail, true body, truly born. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail, true body truly born of the Virgin Mary mild, truly offered, racked and torn on the cross for all defiled, from whose love pierced sacred side flowed your true blood's saving tide. Be a forte sweet to me in my death's great agony. O my loving, gentle one, sweetest Jesus, Mary's son. Amen.
0: We are back. We're talking with Sister Jessica Kerber of the Handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. A little bit about her vocation story before the break, but now we want to stop and talk about the order because we've learned about you. We have a good idea of where you're going because, well, we now know you're a sister of the Handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. But let's talk about the order. So this is a worldwide order?
3: Yes, exactly. An international congregation. We're in 25 different countries.
0: When we think religious orders, immediately... The first question is, what is the charism of the order?
3: So I'm going to give you the, the big words, and then we can talk about it. All right. <laughs> so our charism is Eucharistic reparation. We are a community with Ignatian spirituality and a Eucharistic spirituality. Right? We're looking at things through the Eucharist, through the spirituality and theology in a reparative way, knowing that right God enters, God has entered into our messiness, into our brokenness, into all that is, and And desire is there to heal and to to restore and to make whole.
0: Okay, so Eucharistic reparation. And I would imagine that the large part of that then becomes service to the poor. Because, I mean, you went on a mission trip, and when our Lord talks about this, He says, when you haven't done this for the least, you haven't done this for me. And when you have, you have done this for me. And we talk about reparation quite a bit here on the airwaves. We're very big into First Friday devotion and not just honoring the sacred heart of our Lord, but praying in reparation for sins against the sacred heart of our Lord. So, what does that practically look like for the sisters when you go out day to day and live out this charism?
3: Exactly. I think the key there is, is also saying that, right, there is brokenness in, in so many areas and we want to pay a special attention to where is there the greatest brokenness so that we can be a presence there and allow God there to speak and to heal and to love. So practically what that looks like is that our sisters are involved in a variety of ministries, right? Some are teachers and educators in a variety of settings because that's what, has the possibility of being able to heal and to transform. Some of our sisters are involved in social work. Many are spiritual directors and involved in in various facets of of the spiritual life. Myself, I work at SLU University now and working in teaching Ignatian spirituality and to our students who are going out to serve in the St. Louis Catholic and public schools in the city where there's great need. And so being able to say, right, our life is a gift and we have the possibility of being able to enter into and share in the life with others and they're allowed to speak of of hope that to speak of reparation
0: one of the things you mentioned about your time in service with the order is that at the end of the day you come back from doing your work and then our Lord is exposed, the Blessed Sacrament is exposed, and there's a period of Eucharistic adoration. And I have four daughters, our listeners mm. know this, and, and they ask all the time, what's the difference between a nun and a sister? <laughs> well, you know, a non, we're talking contemplative life in the Cloister Sisters, we're talking apostolic mission out in the world. But one of the beautiful things you shared about your order when we first met is it's kind of a, a mixture of both, that I think the way you said it was you couldn't go out and do the work of your apostolate if you didn't have that time with our Lord in contemplating how he's calling you to go out and do that work.
3: That's exactly right, Adam. And I think it's one of the greatest gifts. It's also something I have to say I struggled with a bit through my own formation because I'm like, how in the world is there time for all of that, right? We're out in full-time apostolic ministry and we have an hour of personal contemplation and an hour of adoration every day and our communal prayer. And yet, that's exactly it. When you realize, I could go out and do, get a job and do various things, right? But it's the why and for whom and how things are done. That's the distinctive ma- That's the distinctiveness here. And so to be able to bring all that I'm living and out there in the ministry and the people that I meet in the conversations, and I bring that to our Lord in adoration, right? and I allow His heart to speak to mine and mine to His, as well as all those hearts that I've experienced and that have touched me and that I've touched throughout the day, And we bring those there to adoration, and that gives us also a real different experience in in how we go then and are sent back out into those ministries.
0: Wow. You just made me think of that great Latin phrase, cor ad cor loquid, where heart speaks to heart. And uh, what a beautiful thing as you live out this apostolate. So let's merge the two now. You, You have this inkling that God may be calling you to the religious life, and specifically he may be calling you to the handmaids of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and a sister says, Have you ever thought about a vocation? And Mm -hmm. I would imagine at this point, are you still thinking you're crazy?
3: I'm thinking it's a little bit more of a possibility now. Like there's still a little bit of craziness there going on, but it's definitely at least a little bit more maybe it's possible.
0: All right. So then let's fast forward a bit. You you make some come and see retreats, I imagine. You spend some time in discernment and then you make the decision. When did you enter the order? So I
3: entered November of 2006, left my home in the nice cool Wisconsin and went to Miami, to Miami, Florida, and entered there. So I entered in two thousand six and made my first vows in two thousand nine.
0: You come to St. Louis now to teach Ignatian spirituality at St. Louis University and also do some work in the community. And this is the first time the handmaids have come to St. Louis. So it is I know indeed. you're establishing a house here. This is kind of a new thing because St. Louis, we think of all of the many religious orders who have been here for as long as I've been alive and as long as I can remember what goes into establishing a community?
3: It's a great question, and I'm in the midst of learning of all of that. It's funny, when we came to St. Louis and when we were exploring, people would look at us a little funny, and they said, everyone else is closing their houses, and you are opening one? Right? We met with the bishop. We asked for that possibility to be able to come and to serve in the diocese, and specifically as well, bringing in our, our Eucharistic adoration and, and sharing that apostolate as well, and to find a house. And I'll tell you, you probably know what it is to go and look for houses. I have had no clue about how to do that. So we are uh, finding the right place for our community, both in the, right, in the kind of neighborhood that we'd li- that we'd like to be in, where we have that possibility of interaction with our neighbors and, and in, a, in a great space and seeing as well, like, how is it that our community, while our sisters are going to be studying and while we're going to be doing different things, how is it that our presence in the community house as well can be a seedbed of hope as well, wherever we live?
0: All right. Now, this has been incredibly inspirational. I have loved learning about your vocation story and learning about this order. I want to turn it to our listeners for a moment because very often on our Friday Roadmap Roundup, either myself or or Gabe Jones, who's on, we we turn to Ignatian spirituality. I went through Jesuit education. Um, I love adapting parts of the spiritual exercises into my life, most frequently, as our listeners know, the midday examine, yes. And I've adapted it my own way. God, I'm grateful for this so far today. And here's an area where I definitely need your grace to turn the day around. How can our listeners live this out? I mean, whether it's Ignatian spirituality or Eucharistic reparation, but if maybe they're not called to join the order, but they're hearing the charisms and, and they're looking at their lives, how could they live some of this out?
3: Those are such important questions and beautiful ones. Number one, that daily examine is key, as you've uh, as you've been able to share so wonderfully with the listeners. To be attentive to what's moving, what do I experience? What's bringing some hope? What's bringing restlessness? And where is that coming from? And doing so while we're looking and listening really at the needs right around us. God speaks to us through our neighbors. God speaks to us through what's moving our heart and what's stirring that to say I want and desire to be more involved here. So it can it's taking the time for that integral prayer as well. And I would say, above all, it's the it's that real attentiveness? And trust that the Lord is speaking, and the Lord has desired each of us to be a part of this larger mission, right? His heart is very active and alive and desires us all to be a part of that, and and so is speaking to us all.
0: Yes, and I I think immediately of St. Teresa of Avila, who had such a difficult time at first in her life, trying to just sit and listen in prayer to what God is saying, and then yet she becomes one of the masters of this. And the lesson I take away is it just takes practice. If, If I'm not doing this now, how could I do this radio show? If I didn't spend time in prayer every day saying, Lord, what is it you want to say? And that's something our listeners can do is just, Lord, how are you calling me to live my vocation? How are you calling me to bring the gospel to everyone I meet today? If you're not taking that time in prayer to ask God that question, it's pretty likely that you're not going to hear the answers. So uh, as much as we'd like to think there's going to be a giant billboard, Adam, do this today, it's about taking that time in prayer. Well, Sister, I want to thank you for being with us. We could go on for hours, and this has been so joyful. However, time does not allow. So could I ask you to close us with a prayer?
3: Oh, I would love to. Thank you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Loving God, we come to you with grateful and full hearts. For you have given us life, and you continue to inspire that life within us, a life filled with gratitude, with love, with wonder, with its struggles, and the desire to share in those struggles with others. I ask that you would bless all of us, bless all of our listeners here today, that we may be so attentive to your movements, to your stirrings, what brings us hope, what brings us joy, to be there and listening listening attentively to what simply, what simply moves in our hearts so that we can respond fully. May you increase within, within us a desire for you. May our hearts burn alive with that desire and with that desire to share this life with others. We pray all of this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen. Sister Jessica Kerber, before we go to the break here I do need to ask one last question for our listeners who would like to know more about the order or perhaps young women out there that are saying this could be right up my alley I, I might want to look into uh, discernment where can they go
3: that's great you can go to our website here in the United States province that's www.acjusa.org
0: acjusa.org That's acjusa.org. Sister Jessica Kerber, I really want to thank you for being with us. It's been a joy and a privilege to speak with you. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned.
2: Thank you. Consecration to Mary. My queen and my mother, I give myself entirely to you. And to show my devotion to you, I consecrate to you this day my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart my whole being without reserve. Wherefore, good mother, as I am your own, keep me, guard me as your property and possession. Amen.
0: We're back and we're talking with Doug Barry about the Ten Commandments. This week we are on Commandments 6 through 8. And Doug, how many times do kids play that game, Two Truths and a Lie? You know, it's fun and games. It's It seems harmless. But the thing we're talking about today is lying. The eighth commandment thou shalt not bear false witness.
4: Yeah, that's, again, like many of these commandments have become so commonplace for us, we just kind of work it into our day-to-day life thinking that it's okay. It's okay to abuse the name of God. It's okay to not go to Mass if I don't feel like it. If I'm too tired, it's okay to put my trust in other things other than God. It's okay to disrespect my parents in this and in that, but maybe not here. We become very cafeteria. We become very selective. We become very comfortable with just kind of picking and choosing And when it comes to the eighth commandment, you should not bear false witness, lying, calumny, detraction, gossip, all these things that are very, very dangerous when it comes to our words, how we speak about others, what we say that says to somebody that you can trust me, you can count on my word. These things all should not be taken lightly. None of this should be taken lightly at all. You know, St. Thomas More was really big on just the general idea that your word, your good name means everything not just in this world right now but before god because it says a lot about what your character is it also affects the legacy and we're all called to a degree to leave a legacy of some sort we're all called to be saints and if we were all faithful to that call that's the legacy we would leave people would know us as having been people who lived a life that strove for virtue doesn't mean you were perfect But understand, even in Scripture, when Jesus talks about those who persevere to the end finding salvation, that's what we find in the Scriptures, is those who persevere to the end find salvation, not those who get it all figured out, those who never fall again, those who never quit. That has to do with the legacy, your reputation, your good name, all of that. So how we speak of people's name is important, how we speak in general Says a lot about ourselves. So if we're someone who's known to lie, we twist and bend the rules to get away with what we want. We're okay with a little bit of gossip. And sometimes the gossip, that's a big one, Adam, is because people fall into the Christian gossip, you know, that kind of, kind of gossip. We, we should think that we know that it's wrong to say, oh, that person, they're bad. Let me talk about their sins, detraction, the calumny. Let me tear them down. That's bad. But then the Christian gossip is, Hey, Adam, I want to talk to you about that guy that you work with there at work. Um, I mean, God bless him, bless his heart. Great guy. I want to pray for him, but let me tell you what's going on in his life. Do you know that he's this, 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 and he's bad here and there and there, but let's pray for him, you know, and we want more people to pray for him. So let's tell more people about how bad he is. This is an attitude. Some people fall into this kind of Christian gossip under the guise of well, we want to pray for him. So we're going to talk about him, about their bad points. Don't misunderstand this when you're talking to somebody, a good confidant, to, yeah, use the word vent. Basically, you're looking for some counsel over a situation, but you can trust the individual. You know they're mature. They're responsible. Hopefully, it's a spiritual director-type individual, but or you're talking to your spouse. But even, parent, even husband or wife can gossip. They can talk about their kids. They can talk about neighbors. They can talk about family members in ways that are wrong. So, the eighth commandment, be truthful, Speak well of others. Don't get into the detraction, the colony, tearing people down, talking about their sins. This stuff is horribly destructive. One great example is a woman who went to a priest years ago, medieval times, to go to confession. The priest said, I want you to go out for your penance, and I want you to go to the town square, take a chicken, pluck all the feathers, let them go, and then you know, take the chicken home, cook the chicken, have the chicken for the meal, and then come back and see me tomorrow. So the woman does this. She comes back the next day, goes to the priest. The priest says, did you do it? I did. I plucked the feathers. I let them go. I took the chicken home. He said, now go collect all the feathers. And she said, there's no way to do that. They've blown all over the countryside. And he said, yes, thus is the same with gossip. We let these words out. They don't come back. We can't control that. We can destroy people's reputations, their good name. We lie. We cheat them out of their reputation by lying and speaking disrespectfully control the language. Last thing I'll say is this. The catechism teaches, in so much as you are able, always assume the best of everyone. Don't assume the worst. Don't assume they meant this when they said that. That's from the enemy. God does not inspire us to assume things that are negative and destructive about another individual based on something they said or a tone of voice, tone and manner, what have you. God inspires us to always try to find a way to excuse rather than accuse. So assume the best you can, as much as you are able to. Sometimes it's pretty obvious that, okay, I know that they're being this way or that way because they're making it clear, but let's still do the best we can to not lie, to be truthful, and to respect other people's good name. Oh, one more quick thing. Got to throw this in. Not everybody has the, the obligation to know or the right to know everything. So if there's a knock on the door, this is an old story, and the Gestapo comes by, knocks on the door, and says, do you have Jews hiding in your house? You are not obligated to tell them that there are Jews in the house if you know they're going to kill them, all right? You can be clever in your words, but understand they don't have a right to know you're not obligated. Not every single situation are you obligated to speak. Don't have to lie. Just don't say anything, right? Or be clever in the way you word it. That's a tough one for some people. But it is true, and I've had many discussions
0: with pre-spiritual directors over the years about that very topic. You know, Doug, one of my high school teachers said to us in class, you know, if you think you might be about to cross the line, turn around and look 20 feet behind you. You crossed that line a long time ago. And for me, the words I'm always on guard against, especially if they come out of my mouth, well, you know what I heard? Because Ah, how do I know that everything I heard was true? And if I'm spreading it around intentionally or not, I'm violating this commandment. So, friends, let's be on guard. You heard that here first, and and that's the truth. So, Doug Berry, thanks for being with us again today. Thanks, Adam. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Adam Wright for Covenant Network. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. And while you're at it, share it with your friends. And now back to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. Yesterday on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, we learned that you can call it whatever you want, but unforgiveness is still unforgiveness. And here to help us unpack the problem of unforgiveness a little bit more, is Patty Schneier.
5: Well, today I want to share with you what I heard from a homily recently from our associate pastor, Father Nick Minks at St. Ferdinand. It was just a daily mass, and he was talking about unforgiveness. And here's what he said. And I went into adoration right after mass, and I wrote this all down. So this is now from my own journal, but I really learned it from him. And he basically said, in every single relationship that you have, every relationship on the planet, if you get to know that person well, whether it's a friend or a relative or someone in your family or even an acquaintance, if you get to know someone well in every single family relationship and basically in every friendship, you are going to have to forgive. And if you don't learn to forgive, you're going to be a very lonely person. Because we are all flawed human beings. So forgiveness really means when you say to that person, you're worth being in relationship with. You're worth it. And isn't that what Christ was saying to us from the cross, right? When he's forgiving us, forgive them, Father, they know not what they're doing. He's forgiving all of mankind, saying to each and every one of us individually, you're still worth being in relationship I want to be in relationship with you forever and all eternity. I'm willing to forgive your sins because I want to be in relationship with you. And that's what we need to say to the people who have hurt us. But whom we love, our friends, our family members, they're still worth it. Most of the people that really do hurt us, maybe those minor grievances and that we have things that we need to forgive in family life, we love them. We want to be in relationship with them. Well, if we're going to be in relationship, we got to learn to forgive because every person on the planet sometime is going to disappoint us or hurt us. And your relationships are going to flourish if you apologize and forgive one another easily and often. But I love the fact that if we don't learn to forgive, we're going to be pretty lonely. That hit me like a ton of bricks. Every single relationship, we're going to have to forgive. Every human being is flawed. But do we not want to say, you're still worth it. I still want to be in relationship with you. So take that to prayer. Think about who you might need to forgive. And go ahead and apologize for your part in it and forgive that person.
0: I'm sad to say I'm now thinking about how many relationships I've missed out on because I didn't want to do the hard work of forgiving and I just chose to walk away. So, Patty, thank you for the challenge today. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. A listener called in yesterday and asked Adam, I I loved what Patty Schneier said in the Daily Dose of Encouragement today, and I want to share that with a friend. How can I share that with them? And I just want to remind you that Just like the saying of the day, we have the Daily Dose of Encouragement out there as a podcast. All you have to do is go to ourcatholicradio.org, click on Programs, and then select the Daily Dose of Encouragement. You can find it there. Or just go to wherever you like to get your podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Google, Apple, uh, TuneIn, etc. Type in Daily Dose of Encouragement Covenant Network. You'll see it pop up, and you can click Like. You can click Subscribe. You can get it every day. Every day you can be encouraged, so uh, help us out and do that. Tomorrow on the show we're going to be talking with Brian Miller, who is an alum of the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. We're also going to be talking with Father Jason Doak of the Diocese of Jefferson City in Missouri about pews and brews. Uh, It's not just rhyming day. There's more to it than that, but you'll have to tune in tomorrow for that. Uh, Again, remember, we're not made to live a life of comfort. We're made for heaven, and that means we're going to have to deny ourselves do some fasting, do some mortification, and you know, it would be a lot easier to kick our feet up and relax, take a nap. But we should pray the rosary instead. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I don't mean to sound so chiding of you. You know, I, I struggle with this myself. There are days I would rather just get my work done so that I can go home and take a nap. And what do you mean you want me to stop and pray the rosary? i got to get my work done so I can go home and take a nap. No, no, stop and pray the rosary. It's so worth it to make those sacrifices of comfort for a life of prayer because i got to tell you, the alternative to heaven is not a very comfortable place. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary today.